Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? All right, good. I won't put my name down for that choir because you won't have one then. I was in another galaxy when the Lord handed out that ability to sing or whatever. My wife tells me I sing in about five keys. So. But it's a privilege to be here. Thank you to Andy and Camilla and the leadership again. For It is, really is a privilege to be here. It really is. I never take this for granted. I just want to say hello from my wife, Michelle. She was supposed to come, but at the last minute, some arrangements didn't quite come together, so she couldn't come, but she does say hello. She really does say hello. It's good to be with you guys. God is good all the time, is he not, eh? Yeah, it's wonderful to see what God is doing with you guys and through you guys and in you guys. The Bible says that God sent his son. Isaiah says that for unto us a child is born, and we're going to celebrate Christmas, but a son is given. A child is born, but a son is given. So God gave his son, and in the New Testament, the Bible says six times Jesus gave himself, and he read one of those. So not only did the father give his son, but the son willingly gave himself. That's an amazing thing. So God sent his son so he could be with us, so he could live through us, so he could be with us. So everything that we receive, everything that God does, we have to receive first. I'll say that again. Everything that God does in us and through us, we have to receive it first. We cannot manufacture it ourselves. God so loves that he gives. So our job is to receive and learning to receive. And then what we receive, we've got to learn to cultivate that and get that into our lives so Christ can live through us to a broken and dying world. And that's basically what I want to touch on this morning. And Andy told me you'd be going through the book of Philippians. So if you've got a Bible, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I want to read two scriptures out of that. Are you all going through the book of Philippians? Is that right? Yep. I did get it right. Okay. It's a wonderful book. It's one of the few books that Paul is not correcting a church or disciplining a church or correcting truth or whatever. It's a book of joy and rejoicing. And yet he writes it from this dungeon, this prison. And it's about rejoicing and joy and all that God is doing. It's an amazing book. It's one of my favorite books. Philippians chapter 1, it says, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. And I do remember you as a church. You can ask my wife. We love coming to this area. We love this church. Uh, when I came over here on the ferry, I said, Lord, I'm listening. If you want to speak to send me young, open to it. But... Uh, so, uh, despite the weather, but it is, it's a beautiful place. You guys live in an incredibly beautiful place. I was just overcome by the beauty. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's that word joy in Philippians. Because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ, that he began a good work in you. You see, God calls. We don't earn that call. There's nothing we can do to manufacture that call. God calls us. He calls us to himself. And when we've responded to the first call of salvation, 
then we become children of the Most High, sons and daughters. And it's a call. The God Almighty, the Creator, calls us to Himself. And then He calls us to partnership with others and puts destiny in our hearts. And He's called this church into being. He sent a couple from Africa to start this place. And it was on God's heart. So God called this church into being. It wasn't man's idea. It was God's idea. You have to understand that. And so all when God transitions leadership, don't make it about the person. Make it about what God is doing. Honor the people. Love the people. Honor Mike and Debbie. They need to be honored. Ongoingly. Need to be loved. Don't forget them. Honor the couple that is leading and the leaders that are around them. But it's the purposes of God. When Moses died, God came to Joshua and said, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, be strong and courageous. Be very strong and very courageous because you're going to take my people to enter into the land that I promised them. And so even as God has transitioned leadership into this church, and they did an amazing job, it's for what's coming down the line. You have to understand that. And you're all going to play a part, and you're all going to experience it. You're going to experience what God's going to do, continue to do in and through you, because it says that God began a good work in you. God began the work in you. Then go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but how much more, sorry, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out, not work for, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. It is God who works in you to will and to act and to do according to his good purpose. So it's God who works in you. So it's God who calls. It's God who initiates. It's God who reveals Christ to you. And then it's God who continues to work this journey out in us. Hello? That's amazing. That's grace. The Bible says grace. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Not the law. Not legalism. It's the grace of God that teaches us. In Titus chapter 2. So that word work out means God works in you. It means to bring about, to cause something to happen, to set in motion, to start, to give impetus. That word work out. And then to will and to act is to put desire. It's pressing you on into action. It's producing both desire and willingness. And then for his good pleasure, it's to shape and affect the right decisions and intentions in our life. So that's what God does. And you ask me, well, how then? How do I know that God who's called me to himself, who's called me to sonship, who's called me to service, who's called me to surrender my life, who's called me to be part of this family, who's called this family into being, how do I continue to work out my salvation? Good question. That's what I want to touch on, because that takes us into the more. Romans chapter 5, what Andy said, if you read Romans chapter 5, there's five or six times where Paul says, how much more? How much more? 
how much more does God have for you? So, how does this happen? I'm going to read three or four scriptures, and then we're going to get into it. Go to John chapter 3, verse 11. It says, I tell you the truth, and we speak of what we know and what we testify to what we have seen. Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know. That word know means odor. It's knowledge through experience. So Jesus is saying, I speak of what I know, what I've experienced with the Father, and we testify to what I've seen. Jesus speaks of what he knows. His speaking flows out of his experience with the Father. That's what he's saying. Acts chapter 4.20, after the disciples were put in prison, were released, and then an angel comes to them and tells them to continue to preach, and they again go before the, the, the authorities, and this is what Peter says, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Acts 26, 16. Paul's given his testimony, and he says, now, this is the word that came to him. Now, stand up, get on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen of me and of what I will show you. 1 John 1, 3 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. So these scriptures speak of what people have seen and heard. Let me ask you, what have you seen and what have you heard? Sometimes you see something in the natural of what God's doing, but it does something on the inside of you. I remember the first time I saw healing, we were down in Cape Town, and we were handing food out and blankets out for those who were sleeping on the street. And we had a man with us called David Cape. Some of you might know who he is. It's not, it doesn't really matter about who it is. And they were, these people were coming to us to get food and to blankets, and it was fairly cold, nearly as cold as what it is today. And I remember this mother brought her son in this trolley it was a shopping trolley. He had never walked in his life. He was probably at six or seven. And she was pushing the trolley. And she came to get some food and blankets. And David Cape took this little boy out of the trolley. And what he did, what he felt God tell him to do, was wash people's feet wherever he went. And so he had a bowl nailed to a cross. He laid it on the floor. And he put this kid's feet. And he started to wash this kid's feet. And as he started to wash the kid's feet... We were watching, you could see the feet start to move, just jerk like this. He'd never walked in his life. And obviously, you could feel the faith rising. And he continued to wash his feet. And then he took him and he held him up. And you could see him wobbling, and then he let him go. And he wobbled for a while, and he stood. And as he stood, he took a step, very wobbly. Within five minutes, he was running around. I saw that with my own eyes. You know what that does to you inside? I was a very new Christian. You understand that God is a healer. And so something explodes inside of you that you want to see more of that. And out of that desire that explodes inside of you, you begin to pursue God in a different manner. The first time I saw somebody getting delivered of a demon, 
It had the same impact on me. Deliverance is one of the areas you'll see how powerful the name of Jesus is, and you'll see how powerful this word is. That's something Michelle and I do a lot, just because of what God led us into. And there are times that we're praying for somebody for deliverance, and as I pick the Bible up to read it, they reach out and take it and want to tear it and throw it away. That's how powerful this word is. And there was a young girl. She was about 16, 17 years old. And a man came and knocked at her door and said, we need help. His name was Dave. We'd just come back from the service. And Michelle and I said, Dave, he was not saved. But we had developed a friendship. And he said, I need your help. So I said, what do you need my help with? He said, there's a young girl. She's just screaming. She's starting in flat and she's just screaming. And I don't know what to do. So I went and got hold of two people and off we went. And he showed, we went up the steps and he opened the door and he said, there she is there. I'm not going in there. She said, he said, I'm not going in there. And she had her back to us, and she was sitting with her legs crossed, and she had a little sister next to her, had just found a Bible. You could see it still had dust on it. And she was reading it. And this young girl of that 16, 7 was rocking back and forth. She heard us come in, but she didn't see us, and she just started to scream. This awful, awful scream. And one of the people that came with us just walked in. I just stood and watched because I didn't know what to do. He walked to the other side of her, and he just said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And she arched her back, and she let out the scream, and then she collapsed on the floor. And then peace came over her. Whole transformation came over her. And you see that in the Bible, when Jesus walked on the earth, 25% to 30% of his ministry was dealing with the demonic. And so we need to know how to do that. Because it's there. And so what have you seen? What have you heard? That's all the Lord wants you to share. That's all. He does not asking you to be a theologian. He's not asking you to know your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Just what have you seen? What have you heard? When I got saved, I was good friends with my wife's brother. His name's Craig. We were friends. I was friends with him before I married his sister. And uh, I got to know him. He, Michelle was then about eight or nine, and I was friends with Craig. And then I moved away, and when I came back and knocked on the door to renew my friendship, Michelle answered the door. She became the focus of my attention, not Craig any longer. <laughs> you know, she had changed. She was now 15. Well, okay, things are all different. But anyway, so we developed a friendship, um, Michelle and I, over a couple of years, and obviously we got married. But uh, after I got saved, Craig wasn't saved. And I started to pray, and I said, Lord, you've got to save my friend. And one day they came and visited us, and he started to ask me questions. I just told him what was real to me, that's all. I just told him what I'd seen and heard, and one of them was deliverance. I'm speaking to an unsaved people about casting out demons. Because it was real to me. It's all I did. I didn't know at that time. We chatted till 3 o'clock in the morning. Eventually I went to bed in the morning, he woke me up, and he He's a law. He's got a law degree. He threw the paper in front of me, and he said, there. And he had written out a contract to the Lord. Because he said to me, can you tell me I'm going to surrender my life, my wife, my kids, my, my house, my car, my finances, everything? I said, Craig, you got it. Spot on. So he wrote the contract out, because that's the way he communicates. And all I told him, what I'd seen and heard, that's all. So what have you seen and what have you heard? It's very key. So 
how does God want us to work out the salvation? There's four simple things that I've found in my own life. It's through four simple areas. It's called revelation, will lead to repentance, which is a transformation which takes place and a habitation that takes place, which will lead to equipping, will lead to engaging. And that process continues to happen in our life ongoingly. So it's repentance. Uh, sorry, it's revelation. It's revelation needs to come to us. It's key that we continually get revelation. Revelation is very key, absolutely foundational. If I don't receive ongoing revelation, then what happens is I begin to stagnate or I begin to try and work my own salvation out and I put law on myself. I get legalistic and it's about doing instead of being. And yet God wants to give us revelation. His desire is to continue to unfold who he is and his purposes in our life. So before I talk a little bit about revelation, what facilitates revelation? Hunger, desire, desperateness, and intimacy. That facilitates. The greatest prayer you can pray is, Oh God, I need you. Because when you do that, something opens up inside of you. Out of desperation, it opens, something shifts inside of you. That's what happens. And so hunger, and I'm encouraging you, if you feel like you've lost your hunger for the Lord, say, Lord, give me my hunger back, please. If you've lost your desire, Lord, give me my desire back. Give me the desire back that I had with you once, many years ago. Put hunger back inside me. Jesus called us through intimacy, not through doctrine and facts. As I learned to yield and surrender to his love, because it's a love story, intimacy grows. Power and intimacy are connected. The church is going to see greater power, because the Bible says as the world gets darker, the glory of the Lord will increase. Hallelujah. So the church is going to see greater power. And when this happens, if we haven't been prepared through intimacy, we get off track. Intimacy leads to life. Seeking power leads to death. Intimacy may include warm and gushy feelings, but the heart of it is trust and obedience. That's a little bit on intimacy. It leads to repentance. So repentance, 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 uh, sorry, a revelation is when God opens the eyes of your heart. Ephesians 3, I think it's 17 and 18 says, oh, Paul says, I want you to know this love, this, this, the width, the breadth, the depth of this love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Revelation. Revelation changes us. Revelation is life-giving. The two men on the road to Emmaus, you know the story, Luke 24, they're talking about just what's happened, about the crucifixion of Christ. And next thing, Jesus is with them. The resurrected Christ is walking with them. And he says to them, what are you guys talking about? He says, where have you been? They turn to Jesus and say, where have you been? Don't you know what's happened here? And he's walking with them, but they can't see him. And they say, well, you know, this is what happened. And then the Bible says he begins to unfold from the Old Testament and Psalms about the Christ. Imagine having that Bible study. And they still didn't see him. 
And then the Bible says, Jesus pretended to walk on. They said, no, 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 hang on a minute. Come with us. And as they do that, as they reach out to him, you see hunger. They wanted more. Their eyes were opened. And it's Jesus. It's what Revelation does. It's right here in front of us. But we can't see it unless the Lord reveals it to us and shows it to us. The eyes of your heart are opened. Ephesians 1.17, Paul says, I pray that the God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And when that happens, you'll know the calling that is on your life. You'll know the hope, and you'll know the incomparable great power that is within you, the power exerts when you pray. You'll begin to know that through revelation. That's through revelation. What have you seen? What have you heard? Revelation is the backbone of faith because it's God speaking to us. And sometimes revelation comes through a power encounter. Sometimes it comes through the Word. And I've mentioned this before. How many of you read the Bible? I pray you have or, or, or whatever. And you read a scripture and you've read the scripture maybe seven, eight, nine, ten times. You decide and all of a sudden it's like you think, wow, I've read this but I've never seen it. How many has that happened to? That's Revelation. All of a sudden, your focus is caught by a sentence or a word or a line or a paragraph. That's revelation. That's God grabbing your attention. Hello? It's very key. And I'm going to tell you what to do with it. Because that's what's going to change you. That's God opening your eyes and you get so excited. And you phone your wife or you phone your husband. And you know what, you know what. I was reading the Bible and this. And you're so excited. You can hardly get the words out. And, and you're so excited. And the person on the other side says, oh, that's nice. Because it's not a revelation to them. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, and you think, but you explain it again. And they say, oh, that's nice. Because it's not revelation to them again. That'll come. The Lord knows what he needs to reveal when he needs to reveal it. Key, best prayer you can pray, God reveal. Open up the eyes of my heart. It's revelation. It's desperately needed, people, desperately. Revelation of God brings power and change. We find out about God, about who we are, about what he's doing through revelation. I remember... Um, Back in South Africa, we used to have a weekly meeting. I wasn't leading a church, and I was part of a church, but we used to go to this one area and used to have a meeting. And they were talking on Ephesians 4, the whole necessity of the Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. And they had been speaking on it every week for probably about a year, if I'm, uh, probably about a year. So every Thursday, I would hear from different people, different ways. I'd go back to Michelle and say, I'd say, what did you do? I'd say, I know they spoke on Ephesians 4, and they said this, and it was wonderful, it was good, and whatever. It was. And then one day I was listening, and something changed inside me. It's like the penny dropped. All of a sudden, I saw it differently. That was revelation. Revelation. We desperately need revelation. Okay. So what do I do with God-given revelation? Well, Jesus helps us. Don't have to turn to it. He teaches about the parable of the sower. 
and it's in Mark 4 and uh, Matthew 13 and Luke 8. And in Luke 8, he tells the disciples, come to him and said, we don't understand this parable. And he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. In this parable is the knowledge of the secrets. It's not the secrets that it's, it's a secret like society. That means it's hidden from people. They haven't, it hasn't been revealed to them. And the knowledge of that revelation of the kingdom, it was in this parable. And so he explains the parable to them about the seed that fell on some fell on this soil, some fell on that soil, and then some fell on good soil. And the soil is the heart. And he says, the seed that fell on good soil, they heard it, they retained it, and by perseverance produced a crop. So he gives us how when you receive revelation, you've got to hear it. And hearing it is like, God, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. I came here this morning. God, speak to me. Tell me something about how can I encourage somebody? I'll be honest, that's what I was saying right through the service. God, I want to encourage your people. Give me a word for somebody. I want to hear what you have to say. Because I know when you speak, it carries life. It carries hope. It carries faith. It carries release. It carries healing. It carries deliverance, whatever it's needed for. So speak to me, Lord. Not for me, for your people. And so we've got to hear. And it's not here. How many of you love, I don't know what your favorite, is hockey still a favorite sport, yeah? Oh, hallelujah. Okay, the, I believe the Canucks are not doing too well. Yeah, it's okay. We'll pray for them. Okay. <laughs> but it's like watching the hockey, Vancouver, and your wife walks in, and she talks to you, and, you say, and you're watching the hockey. Yeah, no, no, that's lovely. That's great, Michelle. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then she walks out, and you think, what did she say? What did she say? <laughs> Fortunately, I do that. <laughs> okay. Just don't do that with the Lord. We tend to do that with him because we get so caught up with what's going on here and the Lord's trying to speak to us. Then we say, what did you say? And it's gone. Write it down. So that hearing is with a heart tender, turned, inclined. It's like standing on your tippy toes and saying, God, speak to me. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. It's, that's the posture we're going to bring to him. Then the Bible says retain. And the only way you retain something is through biblical meditation. That's how you do it. The Psalms is full of it. David said, I meditate. Meditation, that word meditation in different forms, is all over Psalms. And there's three parts to biblical meditation. Matter, muse, and talk. I've shared some of this with you. Matter, muse, and talk. That's how you, don't empty your mind, please, because the devil will fill it. TM wants you to empty your mind. I was involved in a cult before I became a Christian, and they taught you, they gave you a mantra to say, and you had to repeat it again and again and again and again. I was involved in it for six or seven years. And all you do is you're calling out to demon gods. That's all you're doing. But biblical meditation is filling your mind with the things of the Lord. And so it's to mutter, muse, and talk. And mutter is very simply, we all mutter. It's speaking under your breath. You wake up in the morning, oh, oh, my back's sore, oh, where's the dog, let me kick the dog. <laughs> no, don't, but anyway, you know, uh, my wife's there in this, I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> but we mutter, we're permanently muttering. You can do it anywhere you like. We're so used to negative muttering. 
God doesn't want us to negative matter, to positively matter. The things of God, who He is, what He said. Speak it to yourself under your breath. You can do it in your car. You can do it in the shower. You can do it at work. Even if people see your mouth going, they think, what's wrong with me? But it doesn't matter. Mutter the things that God has revealed to you. Mutter them to yourself. Because this revelation that's come to you is a seed. It's not in its full brownness. And the seed needs to take deposit. The seed needs to be nurtured. The seed needs to get inside you. The seed needs to be established. And as the seed is established, it will begin to work out of you. And thank you. Whoever said amen. Thank you. And so you mutter. And you muse is to literally think about it. You muse. It's like a cow chewing the cud. You muse on it. You're thinking about it. Where you're going, you're thinking about it. You're going it over and over in your mind and you, because it caught your attention. And then to talk is very simply, you use these lips and this tongue and this mouth to talk. You just talk. Talk the gospel to yourself. Talk what God has said. Tell your wife. Talk, 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 talk. Moses, my son, be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. Meditate in this law day and night with your mouth. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Meditate in this law day and night. Joshua 1 verse 8. Day and night with your mouth. Speak it. Talk it. Declare it. Sing it. Shout it. That's how you biblically meditate. Hello? There's so much negativity out there. There's lots that can capture your attention. Speak the things of God. I encourage you. I've done this before, but I just want you to understand it. So I need two guys. Um, just two guys. Where's your, where's your husband? Where's Rat? Where's your... He's gone. He's back there. All right, young man, why don't you come here? Thank you. Sorry, I don't know who else to get. He's younger. Yes, oh, okay. Hi. Sorry, I forgot your name. Brian. Okay, one on this side, so if you don't mind. Okay, that's, that's Andy. Thank you. I forget names. Sorry. Can you still see me? I beg your pardon. Okay. The Bible says every matter, Jesus said it twice, Paul said it twice. It's in Deuteronomy 18. Every matter has to be established by the testimony of two, three witnesses. What does that mean? Very simply. If you take up an offering here, and the person taking the offering out the back, and I'll follow them, and they're putting the offering in the pockets, and I come back and say, Andy, they're stealing the money. Andy calls the person, and the person says, no, I'm not. And I say, yes, you were. No, you're not. That's one testimony. We need another witness. There's one word against another. It's interesting, Jesus gave six witnesses, John chapter 6, about who he was. Six! Undisputable. So it's very simply, he has one witness, Yes, one witness. This is the devil. Sorry. This is God. Hallelujah. Okay. So God comes to you and me. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll forsake you. That's the words that came this morning. Even when you gain through the fire, I'm with you. The waters will not overwhelm you. I'll bring you through. I'll never forsake you. That's the word. I'm just using. Okay. The devil comes to you and I. No, 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 no. God is not faithful. I know what you struggle with. I know your shortcomings. I know you just had a fight with Camilla. Sorry, the devil's not married. Just had a fight with your wife. The devil reminds us of that. That's one witness. That's one witness. What I speak is the second witness. That's what I walk into. 
So I can speak that or I can speak that. I make the choice. What comes out of your mouth sets the tone to what you walk into. It's called biblical confession. Thank you. So that's how you meditate. Sorry, I'm looking at the time here. You said five o'clock. Okay, thank you. All right. <laughs> They're laughing. They think you're joking. Anyway, okay. <laughs> and then the last one is perseverance. Jesus said through perseverance. The Bible has a lot to say about perseverance. James, you don't have to turn it. James chapter 1 verse says this. Your faith will be tested. Count to pure joy. It's a tough word. Whenever you face trials, of many count to joy. Lord, help me. Okay. Why? Because your faith's going to be tested, and perseverance must finish its work. Perseverance must finish its work. Perseverance must. So there's something that happens when we learn to stand and persevere that happens inside of us. Perseverance. And that simply means, are you just going to stand on what God has said to you, even though you don't see it yet? Because that requires faith. Are you going to stand on what God says to you, even though the society is telling you different? It takes perseverance. Perseverance. And he helps us with that. Read Romans 5 about perseverance and character. A character is formed through Perseverance. Character, that word character is tried, proven integrity. Read 1 Peter about perseverance. It's all over the Bible. Don't see it negatively. I encourage you. So that's biblical meditation. That's how you take the revelation and let it get in your heart. And then when it begins to get in your heart, you know what happens? The next word. So we've got four. Remember, revelation, repentance, Equipping, engaging. We've done revelation. Leads to repentance. Repentance is not so much forgiveness of sin. Repentance means a change of the way I think. It's a transformation of my mind and my desires. That's what it is. Therefore, do not conform to the patterns of this world, Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed, that's the word repentance. Metanoia, be transformed, that's the word netomoia means repent. Be repentant or transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will know God's good, perfect, pleasing law. You see, folk, when you got saved... You got a new heart, but you did not get a new mind. So we still think like we used to think before we get saved, and that's a block. So God wants to change the way we think. And it needs the revelation of the word to come in you. Peter said this. What did he say? He said many things. He was always opening his mouth. <laughs> he was. I love Peter. Because it's all faith. Where is it? Where is it? Sorry. Just the scripture popped into my mind. 1 Peter. It says this. If I wish I had time to go through all this. He's talking about 1 Peter chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1. 
I'll quickly read it. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil of faith. They can never, they can never, they can never perish, spoil of faith. Kept in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of that salvation which we revealed. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer griefs and many trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, it says, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Talking to Christians, the salvation of your soul. What's your soul? Your mind, your will, and your intellect. Sorry, your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's your soul. That was not saved when you got saved. So Peter is saying that as you continue to rest in him and look to him, you're receiving the goal of your faith. You go to heaven, that's all it says there. Never fade or spoil. But now your soul is busy being saved. Your soul is being transformed and surrendering to the spirit that is alive in you. Your soul is learning to come in line with what the Spirit's doing. Your soul, your mind is learning to come in line with the Word of God. That's what he's saying. Thank you, whoever that amen is. You can have two cups of coffee. That's what he's saying. Isn't that amazing? James 1 verse 19 or 20 says this, Humbly receive the Word of God, which, God which is able to save your souls. That's all repentance is. Use another word. Carrying your cross. Use another word. Dying to self. Use, I don't whatever word you want to use. It's called sanctification. And it's a process. That's all it is. It's a process. So revelation comes. It begins to transform me. And then I begin to see, oh, hang on my. The value of the world is hold everything. But the value of the kingdom is Open your hand and give some away. The value of the world is, I want it done this way. It's my rights. Sorry, I come from America. The value of the kingdom is surrender. We have no rights. No rights. The value of the world is, you hurt me. You spoke badly to me. The value of the kingdom is kindness and forgiveness. That's what begins to take place inside you. This is good news. And who's doing this? For it is God who works in you to will and to act. For it is God. Thank you, Father. All right, so let's move on because we're running out of time. The next one is equipping. Now, so it's revelation will lead to repentance ongoingly in my life. I've told you this now if I won't tell you the story. Okay. And then equipping. Now, equipping requires some diligence, time, and commitment. It brings insight and understanding. And there's two areas of equipping I want to encourage you in. Number one, get foundational equipping in your life. Foundational equipping. So when I talk a lot, it means I've got to stop talking. My nose begins to run. 
It's time to be quiet, Grenfell. Okay. Foundational coping. What do I mean by foundational coping? Hebrews 6 talks about the foundational elements of our faith. Know what they are. Repentance, faith towards God, baptisms, laying of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgments. Paul calls them the elementary teachings. Moving on to maturity. So we've got to get to understand some of that. Laying of hands. Are you able to give a short testimony, five minutes, on why you love Jesus? Why Jesus means so much to you? Are you able to bring a short gospel message? Five minutes. Equip yourself. Somebody's going to ask you, everything's so bad in the world, why are you so joyous? Bible says, give the people a reason for the hope that you have in you. Learning to hear his voice. It's the single most important thing you can learn. Hearing to hear his voice. Giving. What does the Bible say about giving? Logos and rhema. What's the difference? We need the logos, but the rhema is the live, active, living word of God. It's the logos made rhema. Sonship. What does the Bible say about sonship? Sonship. Daughtership. Absolutely foundational. They don't understand I'm a son and daughter. I'm on rocky ground. And you're a son and a daughter because he made you a son and a daughter. Not by what you earn, but what he gave you. Don't live from your condition. You had a bad day. Live from your position as a son and a daughter. The church. What does the Bible say about the church? He's coming back for his church. I tell America, he's not coming back for America, people. He ain't coming back for America. He's coming back for his church in America. He's coming back for his church in Canada. He's coming back for his church in South Africa. Hallelujah. The church is the dearest thing to Jesus' heart. I will build my church. That means it's the person next to you. That's what it means. It's the person next to you. If they're born again. What does the Bible say about gifts? The Son gives gifts, the Father gives gifts, and the Holy Spirit gives gifts. So now you're equipping yourself. Hello? And the other part of equipping is, what is the desire of your heart? What has grabbed your attention? Worship, children, the sick, the poor, administration. We desperately need people gifted in administration. I'm certainly not. You can see by my notes. This man is. Praise the living Lord. What has grabbed your heart? Find out how God has anointed you. Very key, people. You have to find out what God has anointed you. Don't let somebody else tell you how he's anointed you. You know why? Because the anointing is the power of the Holy Spirit that enables one's gift to function with ease. It's not difficult. It's easy. The anointing is what comes easy in your life. If you go outside your anointing, you'll struggle. Find out how God, we're all differently anointed. We are. The anointing simply is ointment smeared on the natural. So the supernatural comes upon the natural to make you supernatural. The anointing lifts and comes back. It lifts and we've got to understand that. So when you're under the anointing, oh, it's easy. 
like you can feel the anointing now. It's easy. But when you're finished and you go home and the anointing is no longer with you, it's not so easy. And it's character formation. There was a story of a woman that walked up the aisle while her husband was preaching with two suitcases in. She came in front and everybody stopped and she said, I want to be married to that man, not the man at home. I understand what she's saying. She shouldn't have done it, but I understand what she's saying. Yeah. How do you discover your anointing? It's normally to do with your natural gifting. Something that God graciously gave common grace to everybody. You have a heart. Very simply, you walk in a room. People are sick. The worship's, uh, the, the coffee's spilt over. Kids are crying. Why do you naturally just, as you walk in, I'll go help there, I'll go. That's your natural intendency. That's your natural gifting. God will put an anointing on that somewhere along the line. So it becomes supernatural. So there's an impact. Hello? You with me? So you've got to find out what it is. And I find this time is when God builds certain essential things into your life that flow out from the repentance, from the revelation, repentance, whatever. He begins to build character in you. Desperately needed people. We need Christians with character. Sometimes there's people in the world that are not saved, behave better than Christians. It's a sad indictment, unfortunately. And it's not about behavior. Behavior doesn't determine blessing. Blessing determines behavior. I say that again. Behavior does not deter you. Don't be good to get. God touches you and it changes your behavior. It's always the other way around. Okay. This is where you discover your gifts and your callings. When you build a solid base to your relationship with God, where you learn to pray, where you learn to exercise faith, where you learn to walk with your brothers and sisters. I'm coming to an end. Turn to the person next to you, whether your husband or wife, you're my brother and my sister. That's a fact. And you know what? When you're family, families fight sometimes. But they're family. So you've got to learn how to get on with one another. You've got to learn to give, forgive. You've got to learn to let things go. You've just got to learn that stuff. Dealing with offense, big thing in the church. Understanding biblical leadership and how to submit to it. That's what happens. That's what we begin to find out. And then the last one is we engage, we serve as you live life just one day at a time, and as revelation has come into your life, and as God has awakened something inside you, and as you're meditating on it, and that revelation is changing you, and as you're busy equipping yourself and learning to understand certain principles and getting truth in your life, and as you do that, you just engage life. Just go out. Go and do what you're called to do. Go do. Go to your work or whatever the case is. But go and say, God, I'm available. I'll just share what I've seen and heard. What have you seen? What have you heard? It's all God told the disciples. Just go tell them what you've seen and heard. What you've seen and heard. And then as you engage people, as you engage your family... Learn to understand and learn to understand when the Spirit of the Lord is awakening somebody. Don't go ahead of the Spirit of the Lord. Particularly in your family. We all want our family saved. You know how you'll know the Spirit of the Lord? Because unless the Spirit of the Lord awakens them, what you say is going to help nothing. Nothing. So don't Bible bash them. I encourage you. Listen. When they start to ask a question, 
That's God. Because that doesn't come from them. Because the Bible says the natural is at enmity to the supernatural. And the devil won't put it in there. It's God elicited something. Tell me why you believe. Ah. The Holy Spirit's at work in this person, beginning to awaken something in them so they can receive the gospel. So we learn to work with the Spirit. So, I'm encouraging you. God has much for this church. What have you seen and what have you heard? God, bring revelation. Let it continue to change me and form me into the character of Jesus. Let me continue to equip myself, uh, whatever that means to you, and let me serve you as I serve others. I trust this has been helpful.